0: Well, good morning. Good early morning, I guess. All of you who remembered to set your clocks ahead, we're now, It's actually feels like seven, no, eight. I don't know what that clock means anymore back there. I don't know what time it is. It's time to worship. That's what time it is. Let's stand up and we're going to start the morning out with a song.
1: Good morning. Gonna good be here with you on like, every parent's least favorite Sunday of the year. Yeah. Right. Um, we're, but gotta to gather together as as God people in this place. If we're, and we're glad you're here with us. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. A couple of things to draw your attention to. Like as a as a church, we always say we want to be about three things. We want to be about Reaching people with the gospel, growing to be like Christ, and serving others—just a few ways to do kind of each one of those things. When it comes to reaching people with the gospel, coming up on, on May 3rd, our church is going to kind of support and host the the Northwoods Share Community Dinner that takes place at the Rock Mission Center up in Eagle River. So we look for people who will help first package those meals. And then also help distribute those meals and kind of a the drive-through line that takes place um, up there at the Rock Mission Center. So, if you're interested in either helping package or distribute those meals, you can contact um, the church office. The email is there in the bulletin. Uh, when it comes to ways to grow, coming up this Thursday, um, there is common ground for the women of the church. Um, this Thursday at 6:30 um, here at the church, we invite you to join us for that. And then when it comes to, to serving, there's a couple ways we can serve. One, we really need people to help in the back we're running sound and slides and all those things. And people who can help. And if you don't have any knowledge in there, area, we're happy to train you, but we can use people just to help facilitate both the sound and the slides and the live streaming during the service. We'd love to have you learn how to do that if you're interested in that. And you can contact, you know, talk to me or contact the church office. Um, So this morning, the second Sunday of the month, we're going to take communion together. So hopefully you grabbed on your way in um, a kind of self-contained communion packet. If not, you can sneak out and grab one. But along with that, like on communion Sundays, in addition to our, our normal offering that you can put in the boxes on the back wall. In addition to that normal offering, we take a, a special offering. And typically that special offering goes towards our benevolence fund that's used to meet the needs of the, of the community. But uh, our, our mission chair, Josh Welch, kind of reached out this week and suggested, like, maybe we can use this week's this month's special offering as a way to support work that missionaries are doing with the Ukraine crisis. So we're going to do that uh, this month. And so there will be somebody at the back door on your way out this morning holding a, an offering tray. So that will be the offering for the, the special offering. That will go towards the EFCA's mission arm called Reach Global. They have a Ukraine refugee crisis response team that they're working with. And so that money will go towards funding kind of... Helping refugees from Ukraine, um, as that crisis response team seeks to support them. So if you want to give to that, there'll be somebody at the back door holding a plate on your way out this morning. You can give, give to that. One other note: to next Sunday, because of um, spring break in the schools, we will not have Sunday school after the service. We will not have cross training after the service. So next Sunday, we'll just we'll gather together for worship. Um, let me know. Um, yeah, Sunday school or cross training afterward. Father, that said, would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you, to join together. As your people that you've brought together here in this place at this time think through all the ways throughout history that you've worked to bring each individual here to this place right now. We thank you that for all that you've done to bring us here together this morning. God, as we come together, we're maybe tired, maybe distracted by other worries, other cares. I pray that we would have a chance right now, this morning, to quiet our heart, quiet our minds, and focus on You. We sing together in a moment that our heart would sing those words with heartfelt conviction. Not that we just sing along and melt the word, but we would really, truly glorify You in how we worship. As we enjoy our time together, God, I pray that You would be at work to draw each one of us closer to Yourself. That you would just reveal yourself to each one of us, conform us more and more to the image of your Son as we sing to you and as we hear your word this morning. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. One more announcement I just forgot to mention. Following the Sunday school hour and following cross training, we will have a a soup and bread potluck downstairs that we invite you to join us and be a part of that as well. So hope you can join us and just enjoy time together um, with that.
0: Okay, I'm going to repeat one of Pastor Tim's announcements, but a little bit more desperately, I think. So he mentioned that we need help with sound and slides in the back. I have a rich... Rich, wave your hand back there. Rich today is running sound and slides because we have nobody to run slides. So we're that thin on people, and running slides is really just clicking, and it's pretty easy, and we need some backup people. So last night... This is my husband, Al, over here. He got a text saying Ian couldn't be here. And he's like, I think I have to do slides tomorrow. And I looked at him, panicked, and I said, oh, no, you're not. You're going to be on stage tomorrow because I need you up here. So we're, we're pretty much that thin. So anybody who could help with that, it's easy. It's just we need some fill-in people to help on the slides in the back. Uh, second thing I wanted to mention, um, I'm also I'm the communications director at the Three Lakes School District. So I kind of want to update you on what our youth are doing at school. We just wrapped up a really good basketball season. I was hoping some of our our teams aren't here today, but... Both our boys' team and our girls' team made it to sectionals, and it was the first time since 2010 that the boys have made it into the sectional round, so that was a really big deal. We also just wrapped up solo ensemble with our students who are in music. I don't know. Is there anybody in here that competed? Oh, we got one in the back, one solo ensemble student. So they go to Florence this year. It was a conference, and they compete musically in solos and different ensembles, vocally and instrumentally. So we have a lot of stuff happening at school. We're about headed into the spring seasons. And also on that note, on a school note, today, does anybody know what today is? Anyone have a thing marked in their calendar or anniversary of any sort? Today is the two year anniversary of the school shutdown. So that's really been on my mind because it—it we've gone through a lot in the last two years. I know everybody in this room has. So it's something I don't think we should forget and I'm, it's really just been weighing on the back of my mind as I think about All of the things our kids have gone through, we've all gone through, Um, it's changed the shape of our church, our community, and everything, so just kind of dwelling on that today and really thinking about the last couple of years, so anyway, with all of that in mind, let's stand up, and we're going to sing through some music this morning and kind of set the tone for Pastor Tim this morning.
2: God, my defense be my side as I rest, breath of God.
1: Been faithful, you have been good to us, even in the midst of hardship and trial. You are good and gracious to us. Would we not take that for granted? Would we not presume upon your goodness? But would we praise you and thank you for your goodness to us? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There are a few people in all of history that I find more interesting than a guy named Blaise Pascal. So you, you may or may not be familiar with that name. He's old. All right. here's, his, here's the first line of his Wikipedia entry. It says this. Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician, physicist, inventor, philosopher, writer, and theologian. Right. So just look at all those things, right? Mathematician, physicist, inventor, philosopher, the- like theologian, like, all these things. Like, like, I'm not smart enough to have any one of those things follow my name. Right? And he gets all of them. It like, doesn't seem fair. Right? But it's, it's fascinating right? that one guy could be all of those things. And as you can imagine, like, if one guy is all those things, he wrote all kinds of interesting and intelligent things. He wrote on math, he wrote on philosophy he wrote on, theology, like all these things. But perhaps the most famous book is a book called Pensies, or *Pensées*, which is French for basically thoughts. Right? And it was published after his death from notes that people kind of compiled that they found of his. But it was his attempt to systematically defend Christianity. And it's an impressive work. There's lots of good stuff there he just wrote a lot of interesting things. But perhaps my favorite thing he ever wrote was a single sentence that he made as an offhanded comment in a letter he once wrote. He wrote this. I would have written a shorter letter, but I did not have the time. And for like much of my life, that would have made no sense to me. Like, write a shorter like, how do you not have time for a shorter letter? I remember like sitting in my high school English class, junior year, and we were assigned a five-page paper. Like, my jaw hit the floor. Like, five pages? Like, how does one person write five whole pages? Like, it didn't seem possible. That's going to take so much time. So it's five pages, double-spaced out the assignment. And for contact, that's about 1,250 words, give or take. Now, for comparison's sake, I, like, write my sermons each week, and I write them out more or less word for word. And a sermon, a typical sermon, is about 4,000 words, right? So, like, three and a half of those assignments every week. That's, like, 18 pages, double-spaced, for one of my sermons. And, like, my high school self would be shocked. Shocked to learn, well, 1st it they'd be shocked to learn that I'm a pastor, period. <laughs> right? But then, second, right? My high school self would be shocked to learn at the hard part about writing 4,000 words each week and keeping it that short. Like, like I could write a rambling, hard-to-follow, like, hour-long sermon, like 8,000, 9,000 words. Like, I can do that in an afternoon. But writing a sermon that's you know, 30, 35 minutes and then to, like hopefully, like, clearly communicate the point of the passage and that it's hopefully somewhat easy to follow, right? and it's hopefully at like, least a little bit entertaining. Like Keeping it that short, like that takes far more time than writing a long, rambling sermon. Right? Reducing and summarizing and distilling thoughts down to kind of their bare essence takes far more work and far more time than just kind of spewing words willy-nilly. And that's what Pascal is getting at in this Quote. His letter is long because he didn't have the time to summarize and distill his thoughts and ideas down. So instead he just kind of spewed them all on the page and sent the letter off. To shorten and to summarize thoughts takes time and it takes effort. Which is why it's so impressive that Matthew and his gospel can distill all of Jesus' preaching down into one sentence. Matthew four seventeen we read from that time from that time on Jesus began to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now of course like Jesus didn't just walk around saying repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near over and over and over again. If that's what preaching was like this job would be a lot easier. Right? But he didn't say the same thing over. But that's, like that according to Matthew, the one-sentence summary, the one-sentence distillation of all of Jesus' preaching, it all falls under that umbrella, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Everything else that Jesus said, everything else that he taught, was just an expansion of that idea. And in today's passage in Luke, we're in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10, this passage is all about that summary, kind of taking on flesh, Jesus' ministry, we see how Jesus' ministry embodied and like fleshed out that one sentence. We're in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. There should be one in the seat in front of you if you need one. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen as well. This is what we read in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10, going through verse 21. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hand on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, The synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, Be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the bird perched in its branches. Again he said, again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like the like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. As I said like a minute ago, this passage shows what it looks like in day-to-day life for Jesus to go about preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. This is that summary embodied. Now, two things you might notice if you're kind of paying attention. One if that Matthew, in his summary, uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. But Luke here uses the phrase, the kingdom of God. And they they change that word, not because they have some fundamentally different idea of what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is. Instead, it's different because Matthew is writing predominantly to a, a Jewish audience. And the Jewish people were like, extremely careful not to use the name of God casually. And so Matthew's just being sensitive to his audience by avoiding using the word for God. So he says, Kingdom of Heaven, instead. Whereas Luke's writing predominantly to a Gentile audience, he doesn't have the same concerns. So he uses Kingdom of God. But they're communicating the same Idea, Kingdom of God, Kingdom of Heaven, they're synonyms. And we'll talk about what the Kingdom of God actually is a little bit later. But I just wanted to address that point of possible confusion in case you were wondering what's going on there. The second thing you may have noticed. Right? The first word in Matthew's summary of Jesus' message is repent. Right? Repent, for the Kingdom of Heaven has come near. That's the first word, the key word. Yet nowhere here in Luke chapter 13 verses 10 through 21 do we read the word repent. Like, so you might ask the question, like, how can this passage in Luke be the embodiment of Matthew's summary if the word repent doesn't appear at all? I think to understand the answer to that question, we need to understand the structure of the book of Luke a little bit. The Luke loves to gr- group content, so that similar types of content are kind of all next to each other. He kind of groups things thematically. So if you should kind of skim through the book of Luke and read the section headings, you quickly notice that all the miracles are kind of grouped together, or almost all the miracles are kind of grouped together. Almost all the miracles are found in Luke chapter 4 through Luke chapter 9. And there's lots of them. Luke 4 through 9, it's of miracle after miracle after miracle. There are 14 miracles in those six chapters. That's more than two per chapter on average. And then we come to Luke chapter 9. And we get this crucial series of events. First we get Peter's famous declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. Then Jesus predicts his own death and then Jesus goes up on a mountain with Peter and James and John and he is transfigured. So he radiates the glory of God. And that story of transfiguration ends with God saying from heaven, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And they come down the mountain. They reach the bottom and Jesus performs one more miracle seemingly with an exclamation point. And then the miracle just Stop. There's no miracles in the second half of chapter 9. There's no miracles in chapter 10. There's no miracles in chapter 11. There's no miracles in chapter 12. So we go from over two miracles per chapter on average to none over a four-chapter stretch. And Luke's point in all of that seems to be Like one of the main reasons the miracles were there was to show that Jesus really was the Messiah and that Jesus really was God's Son. And so between Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah and God's declaration that Jesus is his Son, the miracles seem to have accomplished their purpose. And that's noteworthy. that After they come down the mountain, on the mountain, God says, This is my Son, whom I've chosen. Then he says, Listen to him. That's the command. Listen to him. And then Luke transitions into a period of almost all teaching from Jesus. We get the command. Listen to him. And then Luke goes into teaching. That's what we see in Luke chapter 10 and 11 and 12 and the first part of 13. It's all just Jesus teaching his followers how to live. The miracles stop. The teaching starts. So then the question becomes. Here we are. Luke Chapter 13, verse 10. Why does this miracle suddenly appear? Why does a miracle suddenly pop up in the middle of this teaching? And why, in particular, this miracle? We know that the gospel writers had to be selective about what miracles they recorded. John said that if he recorded them all, the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. So they had to be. They had to pick and choose what miracles they wrote down, which makes Luke's choice here seem extra strange. Like you would think, if he going to take the time and the space to add another miracle, it would be something new. But this miracle is shockingly similar to one we saw in Luke chapter six. In Luke chapter six, Jesus is teaching. In the synagogue, on the Sabbath. And he sees a man with a shriveled hand. So he stops his teaching. He calls the man up and he heals the man. Which then leads to an argument about what is it okay to do on the Sabbath. And now here, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He sees a woman who is bent over and can't straighten up. So he stops the teaching and he heals the woman... And it leads to a discussion about what is it okay to do on the Sabbath. In like fact, these two miracles are so similar, they're often referred to by theologians as a mirror miracle. So again, the question is, like, why did Luke give space to this somewhat repetitive miracle here in a section that's been largely without miracle? I think, like, The repetitiveness is actually the point. If you were here last week, you may remember that the verses that we read that were right before what we read this morning were a parable parable about a fig tree that isn't bearing fruit. But the farmer in that parable is hoping that by caring for the fig tree well, the tree will eventually bear fruit. And the point of that parable is that God is being patient with us. Right? He's giving us time to change from our sinful ways and turn to him. In short, God is being patient in hope that we will repent. That's the point of the story right before this miracle, right? that you should repent. And now we come to this miracle that's remarkably similar to an earlier one. And the question is, like, have the Jewish synagogue leader changed at all? Have they repented? By reenacting similar events, Jesus is giving the synagogue leader a chance to repent. He's offering the synagogue leader a chance to show that he has learned from earlier events and changed. But this synagogue leader hasn't changed. Verse 14 says, He was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. So Jesus' Luke point here, and putting this miracle here in this place, right, that like the Jewish leaders haven't changed. They haven't repented. They've seen Jesus at work, and yet they haven't turned to him. And because they won't repent, Jesus once again points out the error of their ways, and he says to them, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? So Jesus here, he's using a, a negative example, right, or a counter example, to teach people how they're supposed to respond. Like he's saying, don't be like the synagogue leaders. Don't be like that. When you're confronted with sin in your life, don't stubbornly cling to it like the synagogue leader. Don't try to justify it. Instead, when you're confronted with sin in your life, confess it. Turn away from it. Repent. Like I don't know what the thing is in your life. But if you're here this morning and there's some part of your life where you feel like the Holy Spirit's been at work and prompting you, maybe you should change this. Maybe this isn't quite right. If you've had that work going on in you, but you've been kind of stubbornly clinging to your own ways, I just urge you like, listen to that prompting. Don't be like the synagogue leaders don't stay stuck in your old ways repent turn away from that sin and turn to Jesus like or maybe you're here and you've you've never trusted Jesus at all maybe all your life you've lived with kind of a disregard for what Jesus and God want from your life maybe you've argued to live by what you've deemed best so that's if that's you this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never sought to follow Him, then I would urge you to repent as well and to seek His forgiveness. Now, all, all we mean by repent is to turn away from that sin. The to turn towards God and living the life that He has called us to live. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never repented before, like the good news is, the faith of what Jesus does on the cross, He is willing and able to forgive all those sins, to forgive all the times you've clung to your old ways. Now you have the chance to repent and to turn to Him and follow after Him. Repenting is turning away from living the life where you're kind of your own little king of your own little kingdom and instead living a life where God is king. To living in a kingdom where God is King of the universe, because as Matthew said in his summary of Jesus' preaching, "The kingdom of God has come near. Right? Repent. Why? Because the kingdom has come near." Which leads to a kind of very important question, which is, "What is the kingdom of God?" Jesus talked about the kingdom of God all the time, right? in the Lord's Prayer, like your Kingdom come. It's an incredibly important concept all throughout the Bible and especially in the New Testament. And yet, like for me at least, like, it was always a concept that, like, kind of hard to really get a grasp of what it meant. Right? Like I would say thing, I'd say talk about the kingdom of God, because right? it sounded good. Right? It sounds important. It sounds Holy, you sound smart talking about the kingdom of God. But I like never had a great concrete definition of what the kingdom of God really is. I'm just kind of using it at the buzzword more or less. Remember when I was when I was teaching, we would go to these professional development days. And the presenters at these professional development days would use all kinds of jargon that sounded good, but was super nebulous and vague and unhelpful. So, one time before one of these professional development days, one of my coworkers sent out to several of us this thing called an educational buzzword bingo board. Right? So it's a bingo board with all these buzzwords and all these little sayings that sound good in educational circles but are hard to actually give a concrete definition to. Right? So, this bingo board had words like curriculum alignment and balanced literacy and project-based learning and higher-order thinking, like all these things. And like, so you just mark a square every time someone at the conference would say one of these words and you goal go to get a bingo. And it turned out like, getting a bingo was super easy. That the hardest part was figuring out like, who you could let in on the joke right? and who like, took these things really seriously and you had to be careful like, to not let them see that you were playing the this bingo board. Like, that was the hard part. Right? But presenters love to throw these words around because they sound good. Then they give like very little practical advice about how to apply them day-to-day with my fifth grader who are driving me crazy. If I'm being honest, though, like that's kind of how I've often used the kingdom of God. I say it because it sounds good, and I know in my head it's an important concept but I would have a hard time articulating why it actually matters in day-to-day life. Then I read this little book by Patrick Schreiner. It's called The Kingdom of God and the Glory of the Cross. Then you're both in if you're curious more about that. But that book, which is super helpful to me in understanding really in a concrete way what the kingdom is. And in that book, Schreiner defines... The kingdom of God is this. He says the kingdom of God is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. There are three components of the kingdom. Power, people, and place. So the kingdom of God is anywhere where God's power is being displayed in the lives of his people. And in these verses in Luke, we see Jesus both display the kingdom and then teach about this kingdom. The first, he displays the kingdom. In verses 10 through 13, again we read, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. So this woman had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. I'm mean, to be a little careful here, because not, not every physical infirmity is the result of spiritual activity, but the Bible says that this one was. And Jesus displays the power of the kingdom of God By setting this woman free from her infirmity, Jesus displays the power of the kingdom by setting her free. The point is that where where God reigns as king, then he has supreme power. There is nothing God cannot do where he is king, he has power over everything else in his kingdom. He even has power over a, a spirit who is. Been causing for a problem for eighteen years. God has power over all that's going on in his kingdom. Which means that if you're a member of God's kingdom because you follow Jesus, then there's nothing that happens to you that's outside of the King's power. That can be both encouraging and frustrating. Right? It's encouraging to know that like, God is supremely powerful over all that happens. But it can also be frustrating because of that's like then why? If God is so powerful, why do these things keep happening to me? But the one thing we must remember that we sang this morning a little bit ago is that our king is a good king. So often we can think of this almighty king in, in corrupt ways, right? We think of how power corrupts so often. You see it happening in Russia right now. The power corrupts. But our king, the king of heaven, the king of the, king of the kingdom of God, he is an all-good, all-mighty king. So anything that does happen to you as a member of his kingdom is for his good purposes. Even when we can't see them, he has good in store. That Jesus here displays the power of the kingdom by healing this woman. And then he proceeds to teach about the kingdom as well. And he teaches about the kingdom using two metaphors, two things about what the kingdom of heaven is like. First he says, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree. And the bird perched and it branches. And so the idea here in this metaphor is that the kingdom grows outwardly. A mustard plant starts as a seed so small that if you put it in the palm of your hand, you can barely see it. And yet over time it will grow up into a tree that is up to ten feet tall. So it's used frequently in Jesus' day as a picture of rapid A massive growth. In the same way, the kingdom of God starts at this small band of disciples in the Middle East. But over the last 2,000 plus years, it has grown and has expanded throughout the world to the point where it includes each and every one of us here who follows after Jesus. Reach people in every corner of the world. It has expanded massively. And it's interesting that Jesus tells us here that this mustard tree grew, and he says, and the birds perched in its branches. Right? It just seems like a weird detail, right? Like, why am I worried about whether or not birds perched in its branches? But in Ezekiel 17, God says through Ezekiel that he will plant the tree of Israel and birds of every kind will nest and find shelter in its branches. Which is to say, right, that people from all nations will come and find shelter in the tree that God plants. And so Jesus here, by mentioning these birds making a nest in the mustard tree, is saying that God's kingdom is, It's a place of shelter and rest for all kinds of people. Not just the Jews of Jesus' day, not just a certain kind of people, but for all people. So, in Jesus' day, that meant that the shocking thing was that it meant that Gentiles were included in the kingdom of God. The kingdom would grow by drawing in new people from all walks of life. And this aspect of the kingdom still hasn't changed. We, right now, as people of the kingdom, are given the task of drawing and inviting more people into the kingdom where they can experience the joy and the freedom of living under the rule of the great king. That's why one of the the key aspects of our mission statement as a church is to reach people with the gospel. We want to invite people to come into the kingdom of God. We want to be part of that tree that started as a tiny seed and then it's continuing to grow. And as we seek to reach people, right, it's important that we make clear that this kingdom is a place where all types of people can find shelter. Like How grateful am I, as a Gentile, that Jesus' disciples embraced this command to reach all types of people? They didn't stay in their little Jewish bubble, but they reached out to the Gentiles. And we should be the same way. It's easy to like, think the gospel is for people like us. It's easy to think the gospel for people who we are comfortable around, people who act like us, people who think like us, people who have the same opinions on a variety of topics as us. But the point here is that the kingdom of God is open to all kinds of people. It is open to anyone who will submit to the king. And we, as ambassadors of the kingdom, must embody that. We must embody that by inviting all types of people into the kingdom. Not just those that are like us. And in this way, the kingdom will continue to grow Outwardly. But not only does the kingdom grow outwardly, it also grows inwardly. The next metaphor that Jesus gives for the kingdom is as yeast. In verse 20 he says, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. If you've ever made bread, and you you like, think about the way that yeast works its way through a lump of dough, Like the way the yeast causes the dough to grow is very different than the way a plant grows. Whereas a plant, like the mustard tree, is always reaching up and growing new leaves and new branches and reaching out. A dough ball's growth is kind of internal. If we make a lot of pizza at our house, make, a lot, make our dough from scratch and it used to be the case that my wife Vanessa would always make the dough and then I'd always do the topping and the actual cooking of the pizza but recently I've started making the dough sometimes as well but it's a fairly new experience for me to make any kind of bread like every time I make this dough like I'm still amazed right, by how much the dough grows when it's left just for a couple hours with yeast working through it but what's really interesting is that like other than being bigger, right, the outward appearance of the dough hasn't changed all that much. Right? All the growth has been internal. It's expanded outward, but it's been take, the growth has been taking place inside. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this metaphor. Not only should the kingdom grow because its members reach out and are incorporating new members like a plant, But each individual member of the kingdom should be growing internally as well to become more and more like the king that they serve. That's why another one of our components of our mission statement here is that we grow to be like Christ. Part of being a member of the kingdom means growing to be more and more obedient to the king. We can't do that unless we know what the king wants from us. Which is why right, spending time in God's word, spending time in prayer is so important. Right? That's where we discover what the king wants from his subjects. And because our king is a good king, right, we have confidence that the way he commands us to act right, is not just some burdensome power trip, right? but he commands us to act the way for our good. That's why spending time with other members of the kingdom is so important. Like, we're great at overlooking our own failures, our own shortcomings. Like, we're, not, we're not great at seeing our own sin. But when we spend time with other members of the kingdom who, who we trust and who love us, that they can point out our sin and our shortcomings to us. And when those shortcomings are pointed out, we repent. Which brings us back to where we started this message. And we said that this passage is all about embodying Jesus' message. That we repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there are, there are two reasons we may have to repent. Like One, that we have been following Jesus for some time, maybe it's a long time, maybe it's a short time, but we've been following Jesus, but because our sin nature is still at work in us, there are still parts of our life that are not fully submitted to the will of the King. We still all have areas where we're working to put sin to death in our lives. When those areas reveal themselves, we repent. The other reason to repent, as we said earlier, you've never trusted Jesus. You've never submitted to the King. There's a chance here, an invitation here to repent of your sin, to turn to Jesus who, on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin. No matter who you are, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you've never trusted Jesus, there is an invitation in this passage to repent. In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And communion is a chance to remember all that Jesus did on our behalf. To remember why He is so worth following and being obedient to. But before we take communion together, I just want to give us some time of quiet reflection. To ask yourself... Are there things that I need to repent of? Are there areas in my life that are not fully submitted to the King? I'm going to give us a few minutes to do that. And if you've never trusted Jesus, this is the time to do that as well. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your Love and your graciousness and your patience with us. And even when we sin, you are patient. You are merciful, giving us time to repent. So God, would we do that now? Would we, in these quiet moments, would we examine our heart? Would you show us, areas we need to repent. Would we do that now in this quiet time? Would we repent and we turn away from our sin and turn toward you? In Jesus' name, amen. now we can come we can remember all that you've done for us in Jesus by taking this communion meal together in Jesus name Amen so as we think about the areas where we haven't fully submitted our lives to the king the, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus went to the cross. That he died. His body was broken. His blood poured out. So on the cross, God treats him as if he sinned all the sins we ever sinned. And he treats us as if we lived the perfect life Jesus lived. Because we are who we are, we're so prone to forget all that Jesus did. That's why God gave us this tangible reminder We can remember the tangible physical elements, what God did for us. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me partake Father we thank you again for all you've done for us in Jesus That we've so often fallen short of living up to the standard you have given us, we praise you that you not leave us in our sin, but you sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place. Praise you for that. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we invite you to stick around for. For Sunday school and for fellowship time downstairs and cross-training up here, we'll start Sunday school at 10.30, up here at 10.45 for cross-training. And After that, we invite you to stick around and be part of our uh, soup and bread potluck. With that in mind, would you go today thankful that you are a member of a kingdom whose king is all-good and all-loving and all-powerful. You are dismissed.